We can now speak to Jeremy Hobson, a journalist and former host on National Public Radio. He lives in Provincetown and joins us from there now. Jeremy, very good to have you on the programme. Was it a surprise for people in Provincetown to see cases rise so quickly? It was, and I think that the reason is, as you said, this is one of the most vaccinated places in the entire country. So as you can hear there, an update on my attempt to get on TV more. I did a hit on the BBC the other day because Provincetown is amazingly international news. Who would have seen that coming? Uh, We've had a bit of a COVID spike uh, here among fully vaccinated people. The cases are now coming down, but it is a perfect reason to have episode two of the Hobcast be about this, and I'm going to say it because I can on this podcast, fucking virus, COVID-19. And I'm joined now by Paolo Martini, who is, I'm going to have him do his title with Moderna because it's long and complicated. Paolo, what is it? Uh, So I am a chief scientific officer for rare diseases, uh, hematology and rare alliances at Moderna. At Moderna. Yes. So I assume you had the Moderna vaccine. I did have a Moderna vaccine. I was... uh, Fortunately, one of the uh, first group vaccinated, and uh, it was a good decision on Moderna to vaccinate their employees since we were still producing uh, in-house part of the the vaccine. So we wanted to be protected. So what did you think when you first saw this cluster of cases come out of people, most of whom were fully vaccinated, and they started to come down with symptoms of COVID, keeping in mind that they tended to be mild. There were only a few hospitalizations, but still, what, what did you think when you, when you saw that? So obviously, this is my opinion, not uh, modern uh, opinion, but uh, as a scientist, uh, first of all, I thought that there was uh, definitely something spread by people that were unvaccinated because uh, bringing such a huge viral load uh, in order to affect uh, basically vaccinated people uh, it needs to be uh, a vessel that has been unvaccinated. Had to start with an unvaccinated Vaccinated. person coming in. Absolutely. I think uh, that's my opinion, but I absolutely think so. Because uh, with vaccination, what we have seen, in fact, uh, very mild cases, uh, some were uh, even uh, probably undetectable uh, at at a certain point because uh, obviously you have a vaccine that should do its business uh, and should dampen the response of the replication of the virus. So therefore, uh, you wouldn't expect uh, to see such an exacerbation. The exacerbation probably happened because the viral load that was around was high and was able to affect vaccinated people. But uh, as we have seen, uh, very mild cases. Uh, fever, yes. Uh, some symptoms, not all the symptoms. Uh, so there was a, a variation of uh, all the symptoms uh, in many different people that were vaccinated. But uh, uh, what I thought that was actually quite remarkable was that, in fact, uh, the vaccine works, because otherwise uh, we would have uh, a high uh, number of hospitalization uh, and an exacerbation uh, of the disease, uh, which we haven't seen. We have seen only isolated cases and those that were, in fact, hospitalized where unvaccinated people. Does it appear to you just anecdotally, though, that it is spreading from vaccinated people to other vaccinated people now? This is difficult to say, right? Because uh, if you think uh, the viral load uh, probably of uh, vaccinated people should be very low, as a matter of fact. Uh, 
And uh, I don't know that there's enough data to say that. Uh, I know that certain people say, yes, uh, vaccinated people can transmit, and others say no. It's very difficult to say also because uh, we still don't understand completely how this happens. And so for me, um, I wouldn't say conclusively, yeah, that uh, uh, vaccinated people can transmit. As a matter of fact, uh, vaccinated to vaccinated shouldn't be able to mm-hmm. have any impact because uh, the viral load probably is very low. So this is this is obviously a scientific story, but it's also a political story because whatever happens now matters in terms of what leaders are able to do. And one of the, the, the things that people are having a hard time with is a lot of people who got vaccinated thought, well, that means that I can't get it. And yeah. now they're being they're, they're they're having to change their thought about that and say, well, oh, it means that I won't get really sick or yeah. die yeah. probably yeah. if I am vaccinated. Yeah. How, how big of a challenge is that, do you think? I mean, uh, let's uh, let's be real, right? Uh, let's look at uh, all the other vaccine, all, uh, like the seasonal flu, for example, that we have. In the end, even if you get a vaccine uh, for the flu, it's true that uh, it's more complicated. There are very different strains. Every year changes, etc. But uh, you all, there are people that are vaccinated and they get the flu, right? Uh, and with different uh, level of severity. So in reality, the purpose of this vaccine is really to protect uh, uh, your body for uh, getting uh, a very severe disease, as we have seen uh, so far with the, all the vaccine, Pfizer, uh, J&J, AZ, uh, uh, people responded differently to uh, the infection of the coronavirus, uh, but yet uh, with uh, mild response. So what, what do you think about this debate right now about like, that in the meantime, right now, while we're dealing with this, and it's clearly it, P-Town was one of the first places, yeah. but it's now starting to, to yeah. make its way through the country, um, that people should wear masks indoors even if they're vaccinated. That's, uh, I think, in the end, uh, you know, it's a good precaution in a way, and I want to advocate for uh, uh, safety generally, but mainly safety from unvaccinated people at this point. Uh, I'm sorry to say, and this is once again... For unvaccinated unvaccinated people. Yeah, Yeah. this is my personal opinion, right? But uh, for me... Uh, is a protection from unvaccinated people because uh, those are the ones that potentially can grow a, a load of virus that could be very uh, obviously um, infectious for many, including, the, obviously, have you seen, uh, the vaccinated people. So for me, it's a protection against the unvaccinated people that uh, carelessly uh, right. proceed uh, in their uh, normal uh, life duties without understanding that they could be a vessel and uh, they could be a danger for others. Uh, do you think that we'll need to have vaccines for variants now that they're going to have to be or is moderna working on different vaccines for the you know later in the greek alphabet variants uh, we we are looking obviously you know we uh, the way that the, the vaccine was designed is actually quite brilliant uh, and uh, is my colleague uh, which uh, i want to call out because he's done an incredible job and uh, he has uh, uh, created this vaccine that should cover many variants obviously we don't know the level of mutation we have seen uh, many different mutations happening many different variants uh, that uh, they have a different level of severity. The future might be even worse uh, compared to Delta, potentially, or could be that other mutation that occurs that they don't have an impact whatsoever. So we really don't know. And uh, uh, there's a lot of studies ongoing. We keep monitoring. So far, our vaccine has proven to be effective against the Delta as well, if you think about it, because all these people that got vaccinated and got infected by the Delta variants, they actually had a minor uh, response to it, which to me, it's uh, 
great. How much do you think American Airlines paid to have Delta be the bad one? <laughs> oh, yeah. Now the Delta name is uh, famous all over, right? And so Delta Airlines should capitalize on it. <laughs> You've been at Moderna for how long? Now I'm going in October will be six years. But six years. Yeah, I've been always focused on uh, focused on uh, rare genetic disorder because that's uh, how Moderna brought me in uh, uh, to build basically the rare diseases, which then expanded into hematology, and now we have a rare alliances as well, which means uh, partnership with different companies that are interested uh, in uh, using our technology for uh, their own uh, therapeutic areas or their own uh, targets. Yeah. I, I have to imagine it was pretty crazy to go from working for a company that few people in the world had heard of to yeah. one that everybody has heard of. Oh, trust me, I spent my first five years at Moderna uh, uh, starting to socialize uh, the use of uh, messenger RNA and the potential of the messenger RNA as a therapeutic, uh, even within the uh, genetic, uh, the rare genetic disorder group, uh, which are all center of excellence, and these people are physicians and scientists, uh, most of them, uh, it was very difficult uh, to convince them of the potential of this uh, technology. Mm -hmm until uh, they would see some uh, obviously example uh, in the clinic and now we have the perfect example right uh, the vaccine worked uh, uh, beautifully i think and now everyone is calling us now obviously because they want to work with us well and for the listeners of the hopcast who are yeah. are not really scientific minded people just give me the the, the layman's uh, explanation of messenger RNA. What 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 does that mean? So, uh, just uh, this is simple biology, right? So, our cells, uh, our genome, right, is DNA, is based on DNA. Right. In order to make a protein, which is the uh, the basically the copycat of what the DNA could uh, create, we work with protein, right? The genetic code is there to create proteins. What is in between is the messenger RNA. So the message is called messenger because it takes the message from the DNA, bring it into the cytosol of the cells outside the nucleus. That's where our genetic code is protected. And basically help, it's called messenger, because take the message and get translated into the protein, which is the function of our body. We work basically with around 30, 33,000 protein simultaneously. So we are a very complex mechanism, mm -hmm. but everything comes from the messenger RNA that copies the message from the nucleus, from the DNA in the nucleus, translocated outside, and then create the proteins, which is the functioning part of us. We are made of proteins. So why is that more useful than gene therapy? It, it is actually more than uh, more useful is uh, safer for the moment. Uh, the things that we haven't figured out in gene therapy is uh, uh, safety, meaning a long-term safety. Uh, we are talking about gene therapy generally has uh, to go into the nucleus. Once you are in the nucleus, um, you're going to affect potentially the our human genome, right? Because we transfer DNA into the nucleus and DNA with DNA sometimes can translocate in different areas of the DNA, changing a little bit our mapping of the, our genome, mm -hmm. right? And so these are the things that we don't understand fully because otherwise we have to sequence millions and millions of DNA bases to understand where our DNA that we transfer with gene therapy goes and might affect any other uh, gene uh, transcriptions. With the RNA, you basically don't enter the nucleus, you stay in the cytoplasm. So what you're going to do, you're going to translate exclusively that message, 
you're not going to affect any other part of the genome because the messenger RNA is not capable to translocate back into the nucleus. So what else can it be used for besides uh, dealing with COVID-19? Oh my God, uh, I think uh, uh, the beauty of the messenger RNA because uh, the messenger RNA basically translates every type of protein, right? So you can think of uh, creating uh, or using the messenger RNA for many uh, different uh, type of diseases, uh, for many different therapeutic areas. Uh, that's why we work in rare genetic diseases where we do gene replacement, basically. So I know you're working on cancers with are, this technology. Yeah. We do work on cancer. We do work on autoimmune diseases. Today, we announced, in fact, that we started the first uh, clinical trial on uh, uh, IL-2 in autoimmune disease. So uh, we do actually work in cardiovascular. Uh, we do work uh, in genetic disorder, in hematology. You can think of uh, using the messenger RNA as uh, a wide type of therapy because uh, the moment that you have uh, to correct uh, a mutation of a protein that is uh, non-functioning, you can certainly use the messenger RNA to do that correction. What about HIV? Because we've been hearing that yeah. in, in just in the course of the last few months yeah. that the technology that's been used for yeah. COVID, is yeah. it could make a big difference there. It does. As a matter of fact, uh, that's why I think uh, the Gates Foundation, which has always been a very uh, visionary about uh, where to to go and what to do. They've been uh, working with us uh, for uh, an HIV vaccine, uh, and this technology would allow us uh, to potentially do something meaningful uh, in HIV, which is we know that is very complicated, but we start to understand better the mechanism of internalization of the virus within the cells and the replication. So therefore, you can start to think of uh, building something that is a little bit more unique and precise uh, for uh, uh, the uh, HIV. So when you're part of a team that manages to to be so successful in creating a vaccine that's being used all over all over the world and really is helping to solve this massive problem that we're dealing with after that do you feel like michael jordan after like the the umpteenth um championship and like okay i'm done or do you think wow there's there's now so many more things we can do with this i i want to get back into uh, it my god to to us was a humbling experience to be honest with you because uh First of all, uh, uh, um, we believed in what we did, uh, but uh, more importantly, uh, now what we are learning is uh, uh, the potential of this technology even more so, right? Because we see now that it's working. And so uh, for me, what is humbling is that we learn something new in science every day, and that's why uh, I'm still uh, working <laughs> as a scientist. But uh, uh, the potential of this is uh, exponential, uh, to the point that you'll see a lot of uh, many different uh, potentially vaccines coming out from uh, Moderna, also different uh, genetic disorder, autoimmune, oncology. And we'll try to do as much as we can because uh, we realize the potential of this technology and we realize uh, the ability of the messenger RNA to be potentially one of the next therapeutic. Obviously, gene therapy eventually uh, will resolve uh, some of the issues, right? That, uh, right now, uh, it's all about safety, long-term safety, and more importantly, dosing. With the, the beauty of the messenger RNA also is that uh, it's very, very uh, specific. You give X amount of messenger RNA, you get X amount of protein out of it. And it's mathematical. Mm-hmm. So you can think that dosing a patient, uh, it's uh, becoming, even in a chronic way, it becomes actually pretty uh, reliable, right? Because you know that every time you give a dose, you get X amount of response. And that's uh, that's the beauty of the messenger RNA. Unfortunately, gene therapy hasn't figured out that yet. And therefore, uh, 
as uh, it will be potentially the therapy of the future because it will be one or uh, dose and done. At the same time, uh, figuring out uh, the uh, modulation and uh, the quantity that you have to give, uh, it's a key thing uh, for uh, long-term safety. What is the coming attraction at Moderna right now? If, if it was a movie theater, what's the next thing that's, hap- that's going to happen? Uh, I would say uh, now we prove uh, that it works in uh, infectious diseases, and uh, which was pretty clear, although the messenger RNA, for example, uh, uh, changes, uh, the chemistry changes a little bit uh, depending on the therapeutic areas. But the next best thing, I think, is, uh, to be honest with you, is rare genetic disorder, because uh, the idea of replacing a gene that is uh, uh, mutated uh, and it gives you, as a result, uh, a, a disease, uh, the ability to replace it and to show that you reverse the phenotype of the disease, I think it will be phenomenal if we can actually show that. So people can hear as you're speaking your Italian accent. You're yeah. from Milan. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah. But you yeah. and I have something in common, which yeah. is that you, when you first came to the United States, you came to my hometown of Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. It's true. I, <laughs> it was kind of funny because... Uh, I never actually met uh, uh, anyone unless until I met you that actually knew exactly where Champagne Urbana <laughs> was, which I didn't even know when I came to the United States myself. I had to go to the Chicago uh, uh, airport at the American Airlines uh, counter and ask how I would I get to Champagne Urbana because <laughs> I didn't have a clue. But I got there eventually, and it turned out to be an incredible experience because uh, that town is uh, phenomenal uh, in producing uh, incredible talent. But more importantly, it's a great university that allows you really to be part of uh, the uh, the progress, in, particularly in science. I was lucky enough to be in a great lab. Well, and, and it is an amazing place, and so is the place that we are now, yeah. Provincetown, yeah. and in a kind of a similar way, which is that they're, they're both not that big, but they draw in people from all over the world yeah. that are so interesting. Yeah. And by the way, my, my mother is from Alexandria, Egypt. Her family's from Alexandria, yeah. Egypt, which until 1950 was yeah. also like... Not a not a really big place, but it was an international yeah. community, and I think like places like that we should really yeah. cherish because they're rare and they're wonderful. And uh, for me uh, to be able now, I, at the time when I lived in Champaign Urbana, uh, it was a big shock because I was coming from Berlin and working for a big company, and then going back to do a postdoc. And uh, uh, the restaurant scene not quite the same. Not, right? not quite right. the same, right? <laughs> and so I uh, I didn't unpack my bag for six days, and I, I think I had a few cries in between. As what have I done <laughs> in my life to bring myself to Champagne? And then I made the, the best experience also because uh, uh, it was three and a half years that I spent there. It was incredible, and uh, it was an incredible scientific community, and I think mm-hmm. it still is. Uh, and what I found in Provincetown, uh, and right now I'm living in a small town, uh, and I am a resident uh, of Provincetown, mainly because I think it's one of the most incredible community, open, uh, and at the same time warm. And uh, um, particularly, I saw also in wintertime, uh, you know, it's very quiet, but everyone uh, comes together. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's, a, it's an incredible community to live in. Well, Paolo Martini of Moderna, thank you so much for being on the Hobcast. Thank you so much, Jeremy. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) All right, well, now a quick note to tell you how amazing my collaborators, John J. Richardson and Andrew Haig, are. The theme song to this podcast, which they composed, has hints of the song that I played as I said goodbye on Here and Now, which also happens to be my go-to karaoke song. That would be Steve Winwood's Higher Love. Not the Whitney Houston version. I was a fan of it way before that came out. (laughs) Just let the record show. 
Thanks to John and Andrew for engineering and production help as well. Next Friday, it is a West Coast edition of the Hobcast as I talk with one of the best political reporters in California. That would be Scott Schaefer at KQED about a whole lot, including the potential recall of Governor Gavin Newsom, which Scott says depends on Democratic turnout. If they vote in reasonably high numbers, the recall will not succeed. But the problem for Newsom um, is that uh, Republicans at this point, uh, Republicans are much more motivated to vote, more likely to vote. And when you look at who's likely to vote, the recall is much closer. It's about 47% now. All right, so that's next week. Meantime, tell your friends, tell me what you think of the Hobcast. I'm on Twitter, at Jeremy Hobson. This one is slightly longer than the first one, but I'm trying to keep them between 15 and 30 minutes. I don't know why, it just feels right to me, so let me know what you think about that as well. I'm Jeremy Hobson. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next week.